podcast ain't played nobody a sheer multitude of potential opening show topics. I am in New York City for Heisman Week. I don't know why it's called Heisman Week. I don't go. Should just be called Schmooze Week. Uh, that's what I've been doing. Uh, we could talk about so many things, so many <laughs> coaching changes. Yep. So many rumors. But I had one note to start the show with, and that was to call you Sunshine Bill Connolly because mm-hmm. you are lying to yourself about the bowl season. You're lying to yourself. For those of you who don't know, it's going to be a long show intro. For those of you who don't know, we did a bowl watchability ranking. When did that go up? Like days ago on uh, SBNations.coms? It's, it's really a uh, – it's it, time is relative, but I think Monday. <clears throat> uh, you had the highest average rating. In other words, uh, we were asked to go through every bowl game and give it a five – a one through five scale, five being absolutely this is going to be a fantastic game, a one being like this is total trash, I don't really, I only watch it for work. You gave out the most points. Yes, by of far, course. By a full point on average. Yeah. What's your problem, nerd? <laughs> I like football. I'm sorry. I thought that was the point of this whole exercise. Sunshine I, Bill Connolly. I, did, I, gave, I gave a one to just one game. What game is that? Michigan-Florida. Did you really? That yeah. was of all that trash in the middle. That was the one game. It's who, who, who wants to see it? Tell me one person who wants to watch Michigan, Florida. We could have had the first ever Michigan LSU game. We could have had Florida UCF and we got Michigan, Florida for the 38th time in the last three years. Or whatever. Oh, it's all trash. No doubt. But I'm just, I mean, there's so much crap. It's a bad, bad game. It's going to be really boring. And on top of that, at any moment you're watching the game, you could be watching UCF stomp Florida and LSU and Michigan for the first time, right? That's kind of a helmets game. And it's yeah, and it somehow hasn't happened in in a billion years of college football. By the way, watchability score of two point from Duke Temple. Are you kidding me? Who are you talking about? Me? No, well, no, just in general. Like that was the average. It was one of the lowest yeah. rated games. That was gonna uh, be fun. Marshall I USF. Two point. I did mine on the. I did mine on the phone real fast as I was in transit. I don't know what score I gave to anything. I don't remember. What Marshall USF got a two point That's trash. Arkansas State Nevada got a two point That game's gonna be fun as hell. So I, nerd, I'm nerd, the only nerd, one who's nerd, right nerd, here. I'm, nerd, I can't help. Nerd, nerd, I can't bills help else got it wrong, and I'm the only one who got it right. All right, this podcast ain't played nobody. Meanwhile, you gave Georgia, Texas a 4.5. That's a two. Not happening, huh? Can't do the show intro? Still mad? Two point, like 4.5 for Georgia, Texas. People, this is, it's, what, what, what website do we write for it? You done? This podcast ain't played nobody. It's college football marriage numbers and words. Uh, that's the robot Bill Connolly. He loves football. He loves all parts of the football. He eats the whole football. Uh, you can reach him at SBN underscore Bill C. He wrote the books and such. You can find the books and such. They're stocking stuffers. Buy them or I'll come to your house and punch you in the solar plexus. Wait, hold on. 2.7 for Missouri, Oklahoma State. I can't get through the show intro. What are we looking for in a freaking bowl game here? You want you, points? I, you, I thought that was kind of the whole for, idea here. Are you reading this for the first time? Two, well, I scanned it the day it went out and I forgot. 2.7, 2.7 for Missouri, Oklahoma State, the same ranking as Eastern Michigan, Georgia Southern. Who are my coworkers? I need to find a new place to work. Uh, your podcast co-host loves Georgia Southern. Well, that's fine, but, but, but 
All right, so the show intro is dead. Uh, my name is Stephen Godfrey. You can reach me at 38 Godfrey. I have slept five hours and three days. So Kentucky been... Penn State got a 3-2. Man, this is just all... God, he really won't stop. He really won't. Are you done? Maybe. I don't know. Can I finish? Can I finish? I'm finished. All right. uh, That was just meant to be shtick at the front of the show, but if you really want to dedicate some time to it, you can, except that we literally manufacture our our own controversy there because those ratings we all as a SB Nation's college football staff assigned. So, I mean... It's not a great – I mean, it's not the best, deepest lineup ever. Well, what's funny is it really uh, – and I realize, you know, eating the whole cow, blah, 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 blah. But the, um, they did a really a, – a, what appeared to be a pretty solid job with the mid-major matchups, as good as you can do. Obviously, you're going to always be hamstrung in some ways with those. But you got a Tulane, Louisiana, Lafayette, even if it's in the wrong state. Uh, North Texas and Utah State is 9-3 and three versus 10-2. and two. Um George Southern Eastern Michigan's a little a little uh, weird, but App State Middle Tennessee you at least get a champ versus a runner up. UAB Northern Illinois is a champ versus a champ, so they really did about as good a job as you could hope for. Marshall's playing on that weird ass. Uh, oh no 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 no, they're not. It's uh, the the Gasparilla Bowls at, at Ray James Stadium. It's not as uh, at a uh, it's not at the Trop, so I, I guess it's not weird grass anymore. But they got Marshall there. That just feels right. Marshall and Tampa. Um, so, I, I mean, I thought the mid-majors, they really, really did a solid job of, of creating as much interest as you can, considering no, like half the college football watching public isn't going to watch those games no matter what. But Minnesota-Georgia Tech, eh, Cal-TCU, uh, Miami, nobody wanted a Miami-Wisconsin rematch. Uh, Baylor-Vanderbilt, well, actually, no, I'm going to – Baylor-Vanderbilt, I can, I, can, I can defend that one. Purdue-Auburn's kind of fun. West Virginia-Syracuse is fun. Like it gets better, but South Carolina, Virginia, like that. So it really is. um, They did a really nice job with the small bowls and a really cruddy job with the bigger ones. So I'm in New York. Um, this is you know how you go to the Sloan Conference every year for the is at at MIT, right? I keep trying to get you to come to one, but yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm not going to Boston again in my life. Period. New England, you're done. You're dead. Fugazi, done. Um, that means fake, not okay. Uh, I'm in New York, so basically, this is my Sloan conference. So you guys get together and talk about like new and cutting and innovative ways to like measure football and sports, and uh, we, really kind of change the change the course of. We, we drink a lot. Well, I came up here and and essentially I just bullshit. That's a, it, this is one of the pinnacle weeks of bullshitting in college football. So for those of you who don't know, let me peel back the curtain a little bit. The Heisman's on Saturday. I've never been. I don't care. I'm not going to talk about Heisman. I don't know who's in it. Um, it's three people. I what Done. Don't care. Man, I had to sit through two casual conversations at a reception this morning about people talking about the Heisman, and I had nothing to offer. <laughs> nothing whatsoever. People talking about Heisman history. People talking about back to back. Who did? I'm just, I, I got nothing. I know I do this for a living, but I just don't care about the Heisman. So... Uh, I'm up here on and just a full-fledged mech assault bullshit tour, um, and it's essentially what you do is you, you have to go to these sessions really, really early in the morning at different events, and then really, really late at night, everybody's in like hotel bars, and there's a black tie thing last night that uh, Richard Johnson and myself crashed, and uh, so you're up real, real late, and then up real, real early, and then you're kind of delirious in New York in the middle of it, so... 
I feel great. Uh, that's not true. I might die on this podcast. I'm in an audio recording booth at Vox um, in uh, lower Manhattan right now. Uh, if I don't know, we have such a volume of things to get into, Bill, mm-hmm. that I don't really know what order. So it's going to be kind of organic evolution, I guess. Um, first things since, first. Since we did the show, we got the playoff in. We didn't get all the partner bowls. Um, as do you want to work backwards on coaching hires? How, how do we want to skin this? Well, bet? first things first, let's let's promote content. Option week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not a week. We've been calling it option week for like two years because this this idea has kind of taken on different uh, iterations for a very long period of time, and we decided to uh, hold off and do it the week of Army Navy. So you've got it, it within our uh, what what we're calling option week for no reason. It was option day within that package. You've got uh, a history of the option by me and Matt Brown. Uh, that I really like it's graphically awesome uh, and kudos to Matt Brown I think he helped draw up those plays that ended up getting animated in that way he did more than I did in that piece and he deserves credit for that mm-hmm. um, there's a piece by Alex Kirshner called the history and future of the RPO as explained by 12 coaches uh, it's it's uh, uh, it, it, it's kind of uh, it, this was a hard thing to talk about just in terms of, of college football because it um, because it incorporates not only college football, now it's like the the in vogue pro thing. Uh, Alex did a really nice job of kind of uh, trying to, to coordinate all of that. We've got an Army Navy piece by yep. one Stephen Godfrey, who um, I did that, who got to it, it wasn't swept, swept up some table scrap uh, quotes that I had laying around and wrote that bad boy over Thanksgiving. That's right. Um, kind of a, a follow up to a, a, a follow up feature to a feature. Um, I don't really know the best. It's not a just, sequel. Just took random parts and put them together and made another story. <laughs> but, it, but it worked good. Uh, hey, everybody everybody loves chicken nuggets. Nobody wants to know how they get made. Right. Uh, we got by Morgan Moriarty. We've got why the triple option is still alive and well in high school football. Um, and then Richard Johnson helped uh, with the video team there in New York and, and uh, did a video showing all the ways that the option works and how it makes defenders guess wrong. So really cool. This is a very, very SB Nation college football team thing. Uh, the most SB Nation college football team thing that I think we've done in a while. Um, not, it's not four to two parts like the 2007 season piece was, but it's really, I think it's really well done. And, and knowing our audience, um, it should it's it's gotten good feedback so far and i'm going to assume that continues so everybody go click on that yes absolutely everyone go click on that um okay mel tucker officially hired colorado yeah mel tucker officially hired colorado another saving assistant goes and gets a head coaching job uh, the delay there was that they were going back and forth on who was coming and who was staying at colorado so i know a lot of people have seen that just, just by virtue of the fact that we're getting an official announcement late Wednesday, and this was kind of a done deal and out in the public as early as almost Thursday night before the SEC title game. That's a long, long time. Um, that's why they were going over the particulars and specifics. So Mel Tucker, new Colorado head coach. That's just the first thing I can think of. It. Let's work backwards. Um, Will Healy. Yeah. Uh, a name a lot of people don't know but they probably will soon. Gets the Charlotte job after Mike Houston peels out of it. Super weird situation there. Of course, Mike Houston goes to ECU. Um, As I work backwards in my head, uh, Scott Satterfield, new Louisville head coach. Yeah. Going to be an an interesting couple years there because he goes from one of the most consistent places 
in college football <laughs> to a just trash fire of a situation in Louisville. So he's in for it. Kind of reminds me of the uh, Lance Leipold move to from uh, was it Whitewater yeah. to Buffalo? Like it's it's going to be it's going to be a lot of work and it's going to be a long term build for them. Louisville needs to get behind that and understand it specifically. So I hope they do. Um, he's a good coach. I'm curious to see what he's going to do about recruiting um, and and kind of looking outside of that Western Carolina area because uh, at Louisville you got to win battles in Louisville, got to win battles in Kentucky, you got to win, you got to go and find talent in Florida. So in order to do all those things, you're going to have to have a staff that reflects that. So I'm I'm curious. Um, Georgia Tech is a two to three man race right now, depending on who you ask. Uh, we wrote about this earlier in the week over at SB Nation. Ken Wisenhunt is still alive and a candidate that is the <laughs> Los Angeles chargers offensive coordinator, uh, as is Jeff Collins, the head coach at temple. Um, let's see, I'm doing this up without the, without any notes or anything like that. If you just want to start firing off other jobs at, um, Akron. yeah, I, you want to throw Akron at me? Um, they're going to hire a coach. Okay. <laughs> there's, there's Akron right now. That's, I, we were talking about job openings last night with various 80s and coaches in a bar, and people were like, oh, yeah, Akron's open. So there's your situation with Akron. Kansas State. Yeah. Uh, Kansas State, Seth Luttrell in the field. Um, yeah. Seth Luttrell and the field. We've seen some interesting transfers going on with K-State. It's almost like I think they're working – I'm not exactly sure because the indications were these discussions were taking place a while back as Snyder was approaching retirement, so – a little curious what the what the the hesitation is, but again, it's about assistance and particulars and what staff goes where and that kind of stuff. So that might be dragging the situation over there. It also Liberty. may not be done yet, and they may still be considering other candidates. Liberty. I just love that everybody made the same joke. Oh man, watch watch them go higher. You freeze, and then like an hour later. All the uh, you know the, the 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 sourced people start saying, "Yep, Liberty's looking at Hugh Freeze." Liberty's looking at Hugh Freeze. Um, Hugh Freeze is looking at Liberty. That's official. <laughs> That's official. I'm writing a story on Hugh Freeze coming up in the next couple of days, so I can't <clears throat> say anything else. Awesome. Uh, that is a confirmation. Uh, Utah State obviously loses Matt Wells to Texas Tech. Uh, Utah State is still putting together a candidates list. Um, so they're early on. I can tell you pretty with, with a lot of conviction this idea that Gary Anderson's going back is false. That's not going to happen. Um, it's not going to like so. It's not going to happen, or it's like it's he's one of a few candidates. No, uh, there's a whole different. Gary's name got put out there right away because like, Gary still has a yeah. Gary, I mean Gary has a lot of goodwill with people at Utah State, which makes sense, you know, based on his history and his time there. Yep, but. Uh, that is not uh, a shared belief across all of the decision-making matrix at Utah State. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, UMass. UMass. Um, <laughs> Went well, young and hip. Walt Bell's not going to get fired from Florida State because he got a new job. Yep. Full stop. Yeah. Uh, I knew of a couple coaches that turned down interviews with UMass. That was um... – First of all, Walt Bell is 34, so kudos to him for that. He's been an interesting person to kind of track. He was back in the old spread school for a long time. So Oklahoma State quality control guy ended up with Fedora. I think it was Fedora in 
uh, 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He went from uh, Southern Miss to North Carolina with Fedora, I believe. Uh, ends up at Arkansas State. Uh, really kind of just up and coming, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but then he becomes Maryland offensive coordinator for two years, and they don't really have a good offense either year. Then he gets promoted to Florida State offensive coordinator, and they don't really have a good offense this year. Um, and, and, you know, offensive line, obviously. It wasn't like Walt Bell's fault, uh, fault specifically. Um, they, they, when you don't have an offensive line, it's funny how that limits your ability to call good plays. But um, – it's just kind of funny. Like, he, he, you know, there hasn't had to be any sort of proof of, of concept for Walt Bell. He just keeps falling up, and now he's got himself a head coaching job. Um, and, you know, m- maybe it's because you can tell when you interview him that he's that organized and everything's going to be fine, but it was, it was odd. Usually you do have to have that kind of breakthrough uh, pu- in public kind of situation to end up with an FBS head coaching job. But, you know, UMass had to hire somebody. So, uh, Maryland, Mike Loxley. Yeah, um, that's another one that's been wrapped up for a while. Obviously, you have to go through the formalities with everything that's going on at um, yes, Alex, championship. Our Alex Kirshner had a really good piece this morning about. Um, I'm saying this morning as of Wednesday. We are recording this on Wednesday. This might not go up till Thursday, but you know, what, either way, uh, it's Wednesday in my head. And Alex Kirshner this morning had a really nice piece, just about like laying out everything that's true about the situation. Like Maryland needs somebody who can, you know, treat players like human beings uh that was a little bit of a problem for the last guy and loxley should be able to do that meanwhile loxley bombed his his last head coaching audition just got up just an f minus just failed it in every possible way you could you could fail a head coaching test at, at new mexico um but has been associated with good coaches since uh nearly got the maryland job last time as alex pointed out if, if he did then join Haskins is probably maryland's quarterback right now um but yeah, you know, he's going to be able to recruit really well, and he's got to prove that he can actually run a, a football program. That's like the one thing he hasn't been able to prove, um, and we'll see if he can do it. But you know, he's got the Saban on him now, so that, that can't hurt things, I guess. Ohio State. Yeah, that one. Um, there was a reason why the <laughs> uh, Ryan Day's name froze up on several interviews for several jobs. And depending on who you're talking to, who you're listening to, it was a a lot of conjecture. Um, He's a BC guy. Um, He did have interest in BC at one point. Obviously you're in a situation there's, this is shades of Lincoln Riley in so many ways because Lincoln Riley had spoke with Houston. They'd spoke with Texas tech, his alma mater. uh, I'm sorry. When he was speaking to Houston spoke about Texas tech, his alma mater. Um, This was before uh, they hired major Applewhite. And, you know, they, they kind of asked him, hey, what kind of commitment can you give us? And, and he said, well, you know, that's my alma mater. I'm always going to have interest in it. Da, da, da. Kind of a similar situation here, except ah, you're actually the Ohio State head coach now. So <laughs> don't worry about BC. Um, all, I can really, all I can really say is that I get it. Uh, I, I understand why he, um, you know, why they thought he was a good person to bring it to, to hire. And, you know, you got a really expensive, good staff and continuities might help and all that stuff. The one, the two things I guess I can say are, you know, number one, almost anybody is going to be a step down from Urban Meyer, not only because Urban Meyer, you know, left Florida a little bit of a hollow shell when he left, but also just because um, you can make the case that uh, like, I'm, well, no, you could simply make the case that they based their last two hires, aced them both, uh, and almost nobody aces three in a row. 
so, you know, it's just going to, there's all, there's pretty much no way to go, but down. I know this season was disappointing for urban Meyer and whatnot. Um, and they've, and God, they, how hard it must've be for him to have missed the playoffs two straight years. That's, uh, so hard and, and, and down times there for Ohio state, but they, the chances are this beat, no matter who they would have hired, this would have become more like a top five or 10 program again, not top two or three. Um, but it's still like, I, I get it. I know he, he, he did well when he, when he passed his test in September, when he had like four Saturdays as head coach, not even, not even weeks, just Saturdays because urban was still around the rest of the week. Um, it's still, I, I'm not, I'm not blown away. Like on resume alone, he does not get the Ohio state job. Uh, he did not have the resume to get the Ohio state job. And so they, they were kind of given a home field advantage there. And I don't, I don't know, not blown away. Um, yeah. So I can tell you obviously that no, he's not qualified and he's not the top candidate by any stretch, but there are different parameters at play here. And, and the biggest thing is that they just, wanted to find somebody who could can keep the parts they wanted to keep going, keep going there. I mean, they, they wanted to pull somebody off the staff and, and there's some, there's in, in a really bizarre and sick and sad situation. I think the administration saw what they view to be a little bit of serendipity and that he was undefeated. He was this, you know, uh, successful interim head coach and therefore it's easier to sell this because they don't have to go down and do a full, a full teardown and rebuild. So, yeah. Uh, no, he's by far not the most qualified candidate, but they're they're looking to create that Stoops to Riley seamless transition. Right. Yeah. Now Lincoln improving more than Ryan Day has, but that's again that's fine because again, no matter who you hire, they're probably going to be they're probably going to go down a little bit just overall. So um, uh, definitely, really definitely want to say tough day for the Mayor Badge Media. <laughs> <laughs> that is our boy, man. Your boy stepping down. That's tough. Um, I'm trying to figure out if we should create some sort of like, uh, ooh, I got to check in for my flight. We're going to do that live on the air. Um, uh, I, there's got to be some sort of gag reflex rating on some of the uh, I mean, you'll, you know, uh, coaching eulogies written for Urban Meyer and how tough and hard ever, everything's been on him this year. Yeah, it's just been so hard on him. Oh, man. There, there's just a lot of journalism out there this, this week on Urban Meyer that is just as fresh as a bag of assholes. Um, this is one of the most comprehensive college football stories out there and that you have every factor, every subplot that we, we pick apart, all at play here, good and horribly bad. And to simplify it to like, oh, wonderful coach stepping down just makes me want to bash my head against the wall. But so it goes. So yeah. it goes, Bill. Um, so silly season is sort of petering silly. out. Yeah, it's been silly though. Um, the best part is you get to, you get Division Two silly season, which is actually a thousand times worse. But I don't think people pick up on it as much. <laughs> well, and no. That's assistant coaches. Yeah, you'll have one or two kind of big time things. I know Freeze's name is being magically thrown out right now, isn't it? Magic Bill that Hugh Freeze is the hottest <laughs> name for eighteen jobs. I wonder how that's happening. Um, again, I'll have a piece here soon. Um. Other than that, it'll be a pretty normal silly season for assistance, um, and that'll carry through uh, through early signing into uh, into this, the next wave of recruiting, and then into the second signing day. So, I mean, this thing will drag out for a while. Um, oh, I'm trying to think if there's anything I want to mention on the air. Um, I was hoping you're actually at Division Two, NCAA Division Two, silly season. Um, 
No, there's not. I mean, it's always pretty chill down there, you know. Actually, no, I take that back. Uh, one thing we didn't mention because I, I'm I'm sleep deprived right now. So that Mike Houston situation is pretty much how not to handle a coaching search if you're a coach. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because here's the deal: if you're gonna if you're gonna interview for one job, verbally agree to it, and not, by the way, not realize that this is the FBS and not the FCS. And when you do that stuff, it's gonna get out in the media, and people right. like us are gonna are gonna publicize it because that's what happened. Um. So that happens. Then my man backs out of that deal and makes himself known to be interested in, uh, in the ECU job. This is all still fine, except, bro, you got to beat Colgate. You did not beat Colgate. That's a problem. <laughs> That's a big problem. So, uh, And by the way, um, congratulations to new Aurora, Illinois head coach, Don Beebe. Really? Yeah. Wow. Like Don Beebe, Don Beebe? Don Beebe, Don Beebe. I'm old. Yeah. Very old. Poor Leon Lett. Wow. Man. How many people are listening right now have no idea what we're talking about? Well, I think we pretty much mastered, we've cornered the market on dads our age. So I would assume they know it. I know that there are some younger people who listen too and don't. Uh, But yeah, Don Beebe, head coach, Aurora, Illinois. Uh, so yeah, in New York, there has not been a single, uh, through line of conversation at all. Uh, a couple of people talking about the playoff, but nothing major. A couple of people talking about the PAC 12 being a trash fire. Larry Scott was, uh, at the Learfield conference today, this morning. Um, nothing, there isn't a single hot topic or a single coach. Um, it very much is business as usual. I saw the UCF contingent was out pretty hard last <laughs> night. Um, they're kind of they're walking around with their chest stuck out. Uh, nothing new for them. Um, oh, but uh, really, not not a seismic through line kind of like oh, everyone's worried about X, which is honestly it's a non realignment year, and right. the Meyer controversy is drug out to the point where I think people are a little fatigued. <laughs> well, I, and by the way, um, my new best friend Jim Delaney talking about getting away from divisions. Um, yeah. Jim, I know you listen to the show. Go ahead and give me, uh, shoot me an email. We can talk about the, the pod system that you need to adopt now. It was funny, by the way, like my brand, uh, as soon as he says that this morning, like 38 people hop into my mentions, say, hey, pods. So, you know, we all got to be known for something. No, I think, I mean, it's not going to happen because people are idiots, but I mean, yeah, I think we'll the, pod... out the worst possible way to get rid of divisions and make things worse. Um, but... God, what if that big 12 model becomes like standardized? <laughs> Except with 14 or 16 teams. Oh no. Cause that's the dumbest thing that they could do, or at least the dumbest thing that they have done. So in, inherently that's what's, that's going to happen. Oh man, that would be so terrible. <sighs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exasperated sigh, silent pause. Yeah. By the way, share an opinion on Mel Tucker, because I can't. Uh, it's the Saban. It's it's uh, it's Sabinization. Um, and well, that's I know. I mean, I know how he got the job. I just like no, 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 no. no. It's it, um, like, eh. believe uh, it or not. Okay, believe it or not, there was a time outside of the, especially outside of the states of Alabama and Georgia, when Georgia announced that Kirby Smart would be the new head coach. The, I think sports media will disagree with me on this, but that's because they get short-sighted and don't realize that they have a different perspective. People don't understand the individual worth of saving assistance, and it's by design. <laughs> um, so I think that, uh, honestly, you don't know a lot about these assistant coaches because they're never really put in front of the media. It's the, I mean, Pruitt did the same. It's the same situation as Pruitt last year. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it, there's not a lot you can say about Mel Tucker. Um, 
publicly because he's not put it he's not put out there publicly because you know i mean kirby's running a a, a minor alabama so right. it is um, he's got a really the most interesting thing about thing about him is his resume um he starts his well first of all he plays for barry alvarez he's on that um those early 90s wisconsin teams that that broke through so he's got that kind of in his, his dna but his first uh, head his first coaching job is as a ga for nick saban at michigan state um, he he hops over to Miami, Ohio for a year, but ends up with Tessaban uh, at LSU in 2000. Uh, then goes to Jim Tressel and, and coaches with for Jim Tressel for four years. Then hops to the pros, where he's basically known for being a, a pretty massive failure as a defensive coordinator um, at the with the Browns, with the Jags, um, and then with the Bears. Like no, he he really kind of got pigeon uh, not pigeonholed, but. Um, he got blamed for a lot of bad defenses in that period of time. Uh, so then, with nowhere better to go at the pro level, he hops back down to Alabama in 2015 and becomes Nick Saban's defensive backs coach, then goes with Kirby to Athens for three years. So uh, clearly, the college level has treated him better, I think you could say. Yeah. But yeah, like having an opinion whatsoever on how he might do and what he might try to do and all that stuff, like I, I got nothing. Like that's- um, high level of enthusiasm, I've been told. Um, big culture guy. Players coach, um, and the biggest thing is that they're going to try and take a try and and play around with what that recruiting footprint is going to be. I think I think based on a little bit of what I told was told, that's what won them the gig. I think that they know that they have to redraw the map and figure out what the hell they're going to do in recruiting. So. I think because he's because of his recruiting bona fides, right. it's going to be really interesting. I mean, Denver's not an imp- I mean, Denver Boulder greater area is not an impossible place to recruit to from far away to, you know, pulling kids from Atlanta, pulling kids from. Yeah. I mean, you can fly there really easily. <laughs> so that, that is, uh, and, and reasonably cheaply, I think. So, I mean, that's, that, that is a thing, I guess, but, um, but yeah, coaching tree wise, Saban, Trestle, Saban, pro coaches, hell of a coaching tree, uh, that he's been a part of, but eh, we'll see. All right, Bill, let's go to questions. Everybody's got a bunch, and it's wide-ranging. Some of the coaching stuff you guys are asking me is like really specific. Um, I'll answer it if I can. <laughs> well, let's start with uh, something. So uh, this is my fault, and I, I respect that this is my fault. What'd you do? So our friend Saman Jabari, um, I've been on his podcast a few times. He is a, a USC fan. The second most prolific question asker among the USC fans uh, listening. Um, he, when I, the other day when I mentioned envisioning uh, Cliff Kingsbury as USC offensive coordinator, I might have included a, an eggplant emoji next to that thought. Um, and he responded with the hashtag stiff for Cliff. And I apologize to everybody. Um, but since he, since he grossed me out for it, I have to share it because uh, our friend yeah. Shakar Gupta, the most question asking USC fan who listens to our show, says uh so now that usc has made kingsbury their oc are you hashtag stiffer cliff but actually thoughts on the way he'd utilize existing play uh, players on the roster and what assistance he could potentially bring in the, the assistant part is for you i'm curious now how the rest of that staff comes together cliff's gonna have some input on how that staff comes together um it's a really good move honestly um <laughs> i mean <laughs> yeah. it's like it's there's Nothing bad you can say about it, except that I like if I was trying to cast anything negative, it would be that you know so many traditionalists around that program might grumble about yeah. the way they play ball. But God, who gives a shit? Like yeah. 
Um, this is a really progressive, smart move by Clay Helton. He's, they are handing the offense to someone who can make it better instantly. Yeah, and, I, and everybody, I think every, a lot of people's initial reaction was something to the effect of, well, he just hired a successor, um, which maybe, but I mean, if you're Clay Helton, it doesn't really matter. That part doesn't really matter because if you don't, if your offense doesn't improve, you don't have a job next year anyways. Who cares who's succeeding you? Um, he just gave himself his the best chance to survive. Yeah. And, I, and I'm curious about that situation. Too. I mean, the, the biggest problem for Clifford Tech it was obvious. He couldn't recruit defensive players. Um, if you're a defensive player, if you're a mid to high three-star kid uh, and you're deciding between Texas Tech and, I don't know, like an Arkansas, Texas A&M type, something to that effect where, you, where they have a history of playing defense and they're not – and the, the word air raid isn't as just laminated on your forehead um, – you're probably going to automatically kind of gravitate in that direction, knowing that you're, you know, you go to Texas Tech, you might play a lot, but you're going to give up a ton of yards, and it'll be hard for you to to stand out positively. Um, now he's at a place where he, that's not a problem. You've got the, all the four stars you can want defensively, and Texas Tech didn't actually, by the end of his tenure, especially, they weren't going that fast. They were like top forty tempo, but not top ten tempo. Uh, so it's not like you're you're going to be hanging out Clancy Pendergast's. Uh, defense to drive they're, they're going to suddenly start facing 90 snaps or something uh, so it really does seem like this is a really really nice situation to be like i've like i've said before clancy might have to play more than 11 defensive guys now he might have to yeah. actually open up the rotation a little bit uh, but that that's not a bad thing either this could be good for many many different ways i uh, man tyler vaughn's is uh pro stock just went up he's a sophomore he caught you know, 58 passes, 674 yards. Amon Ray St. Brown as a freshman had 60 for 750. Um, Michael Pittman is still a junior. He had 41 for 758. All three of those guys are going for 1,000 yards next year. Uh, what's really interesting is to see how this is going to be perceived because, I, I mean, I'm not automatically saying, oh, it's wildly successful. USC's a 10-game winner next year. There's work that needs to be done. I'm saying they will be better almost yeah. without a doubt on yeah. offense. How that improvement is characterized is going to, I think, depend on how they actually look because they're one of the things that we have been kicking around. We're, we, you know, we, we, like I'm in New York right now looking mainly to recap the season and also kind of figure out what people are talking about, right? Uh, Texas Tech, this doesn't have anything to do with, you know, Cliff specifically, I guess, but when they fired him, they said, we're not going to do that again, right? There are other ADs who have said that at other schools. We're not going air raid. Right. That was that was one of the things about Mel Tucker going to Colorado. That was a box that was checked. Right. So here's what I'm curious about. Are we just misidentifying this now at the executive level with the athletic directors and the big time boosters? Or could this move by Kingsbury reignite it mainly because it will look visually different? You know, maybe maybe this is the he has a good season or two there. And especially at a place that's that you know hasn't run any kind of iteration of that system before, yeah. and maybe that changes the way people look at quote unquote air raid, and it loses some of its stigma, and they and it sort of has a second wave of popularity. I, I mean, I I love that. I hope that that's the case because um, again, <laughs> NFL. I'm surprised he ended up at USC just because I thought he would probably end up with a pretty good gig in the NFL if he wanted it, um, and and maybe that was. You know, maybe maybe that was sources to you know telling the right people the right thing to try to build that up beyond what it actually was in terms of his prospects and whatnot. Uh, but he's a hot name, and and the NFL has again uh, suddenly started to decide. You know, points and yards, people seem to like those things, and so 
it's funny that colleges are kind of turning their back on offense. <laughs> I say an offense is bad. We need, we need less of that um, at this exact moment in time. And, and, you know, somehow Georgia Tech ends up hiring Ken Wisenhunt. Uh, to, it, <clears throat> the, the rant potential there is strong, but uh, it, it really, it's, it's a perfect situation. It really is. Cause that, I mean, cause, cause Clay Helton knows he needs the help, it's not even a situation. It's not like uh, Tommy Tuberville in 2008, uh, bringing up, oh, oh God, I, I need one of those spread guys who's available to come down here and do a spread for me. Um, like this, I, I, I think everybody understands the situation here. He's going to be given free reign to turn JT Daniels into one hell of a uh, prolific passer and, and work with a bunch of four stars because he, he makes three stars produce like four stars, and now he's got the four stars to work with. Hey, speaking of USC, sort of uh, Ross Shercliffe asked, hey, we never got an analysis of the WKU switch from Sanford to Helton. <laughs> um, I think how it came about is one story, maybe for another day because it's still sort of developing. Um, but just in terms of the difference, I, it's push. <laughs> um, the story on how it all went down, I think, is going to have to color how we evaluate why they did it in the first place. WKU is in a very interesting spot. Financially, they're not as well off as they had they, they were previously um, because there's some budget cuts in the state. Uh, student activity fee stuff was down. There's... They they've lost a little they've they've lost a lot of wind honestly they were on a building spree for a while and eventually you know you got to pay for all that um it's uh interesting the way that all went down um the fact that Phil Fulmer uh you know within 36 hours unloads an offensive coordinator who his head coach did not want at all who had a significant buyout to a neighboring school where he has some uh kind of off kind of some connections with the administration there. Um, and essentially Tennessee doesn't have to eat a buyout and uh, WKU is able to pay out, I think over, I want to say it's 18 months on, on Sanford um, and do something that essentially appeases this one kind of small fickle group of fans and boosters at WKU simply by the fact that like they hired, <laughs> I mean, they hired Elton because he was there when Brom was there. You know, right. he was he was one of Brom's guys, and that's something that just creates instant credibility at WKU. Uh, the roster's still a mess. The expectations are still out of whack. I'm curious what he does in year one, year two. They're going to go. I mean, they're going straight back to what Brom called and 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 what they what they looked like on the field. They're going straight back to that in a heartbeat. Yeah, the derivatives, the derivatives like that. That doesn't. <laughs> I mean, that's essentially what they did was they, they found a way to find a bargain, you know, an off-off-brand Jeff Brom and get rid of, uh, of Sanford and his staff and his dad being on staff and a, lot of, and a lot of people were rubbed wrong by his staff, specifically in the community, or at least that's what they claim. And they get to just dump all that and say, hey, we sort of got a Brom guy, and, and that's it for now. Um, it, they got a lot of work to do. <laughs> the recruiting, the recruiting, and the player development stuff just fell apart there, and well, and, and so much, so little continuity. How many, how many years was was Jeff Brom actually there? Two, right? It's been a, I mean, it's a, it's a world. You had guys, you had several, several key players on the CUSA championship team that were Taggart, Petrino, Brom. Right. I yeah. mean, and and Taggart staff went and and was very, very dug in deep into Kentucky and developing guys, and were really, really good at finding guy the two stars that could be three and a halfs, you know? Right. 
Brom learned how to recruit by what not to do on some of the things that he did or didn't do while he was in Bowling Green. Yeah. Um, and it shows now. So uh, uh, well, it, yeah. it's, there's, there's some work to be done in the long term at that job. Uh, Devin McCullen at SpudsFan asks, are there any examples of a coach getting off to as bad a start as Chris Ash has and eventually finding success? Success meaning regularly bowl eligible in this case. Um, so I've struggled with this one. Uh, here are the Not best, this bad, man. Here's the best two examples I can, I can come up with. Bobby Johnson at Vanderbilt went 2-10, 2-10, 2-9 and in his first three years. Um, he did not regularly make bowl games, but he made a bowl game in year seven uh for the next three years he went five and six four and eight five and seven like they kept they kept getting closer and close closer uh they go they inch ahead in 2008 they suddenly you know they host game day they beat who was at auburn um speaking yes, of i was there auburn. um i was and, there <laughs> it was fun and then they like lost the rest of their games ended up seven and six uh and then he goes two and ten the next year and he's done so that's not really that one doesn't qualify um another one that I came up with that almost qualifies is when Mike Leach took over for Paul Wolf. Okay. Uh, he went three and nine in his first year. He did go six and seven in the in his second year, but then he fell back to three and nine in his third year. Um, still doesn't apply because because Mm-mm. Rutgers was horrible this year. This was his worst Rutgers team. Uh, they went two and ten his first year. Four and eight is second year. Still not good, but like they're probably lucky to be four and eight. Uh, and then they were just absolutely awful, like t- full on. It, it was with a youth movement. So it wasn't like with his third year players or something. It was a very much a youth movement, but he had to have a youth movement in year three because nothing had stuck so far. Um, and they were horrible in every possible way. They got a hair better at the end of the year. That's really the only hope that I think you can lean on is they were not completely terrible uh, late in the year. They almost beat Michigan State in the season finale. They kept uh, Penn State close to 20-7. Uh, to seven. Um, You know, honestly, 42-7 against Michigan, people thought it was going to be a lot worse than that. 31-17 to Wisconsin, 18-15 in Northwestern. They absolutely they improved from 126th to 116th uh, in S&P Plus down the stretch. Um, so there is that, but God, like that, that offense was so, so bad this year. And boy, like if they, if they wanted to fire him, I realized you got to be patient in records. If they wanted to fire him, I wouldn't have been able to like rant about no. it. It would have sort of been justifiable. Uh, I know people want to do a Mark Stoops comparison there, but I just, oh God, I, don't, no. I don't see it. I mean, no. Stoops, Stoops didn't win over. I mean, they didn't get above 500 until I think year four. Four, yeah, but they were five. going five and seven. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was getting at. And also, <clears throat> it's funny. Like I, I, I'm always a little scared to adopt the party line of like an AD and a coach when they're having a moment like Kentucky had this year. But you go back and you can see, you keep, you could definitely see, hey, that roster's getting deeper. Hey, they're filling out. Like you, you could justify him going five and seven and not blink at it during that time. This is not that. At all. No, and and I mean they went two and ten his first year, but yeah, they were five and seven in his second year, five and seven again in his third year, um, and then seven and six, seven and six after that. Like they, well, then they were also winning games and then and then falling apart, but which is what happens when you have promise mm-hmm. and and an increasing amount of talent, albeit small. Like that's what happens. You come out in September, you're hot. Um, you know they couldn't beat Florida for so many times until this year, but then they would just fall apart down the stretch because yeah. of depth and injury and stuff. Like we're not seeing any of that at Rutgers. We're just yeah. seeing absolute, like we're seeing a, a flat line of of competency. 
Yeah, their their uh, their average S and P plus ranking in Stoops' first three years was seventy five point six. Um, their next time, let's see, what did they end up with? Let's see. Yeah, the, the the next time that they're in double digits will be Chris Ash's first. Uh, so it's it's just not even slightly comp- comparable. Um, trying to think. Yeah, I I I can't think of anything else. I mean, what what does Rutgers do good, or what is Rutgers improving on? <laughs> um, their defense was not horrible at the end of the year. That's uh, <laughs> that, that's the best. Now I say that uh, four of their top five tacklers were seniors, so that's not good. Um, they did have some freshmen and sophomores who were playing roles, uh, but yeah, they really did kind of peak at the end of the year with quite a few seniors playing roles there, and and so you can't really say okay they're going to build on that. Maybe, but not necessarily. Um, and, and they really did hand it over to freshmen, uh, on offense. I mean, we're freshman quarterback in Sikowski, uh, sophomore running back, uh, and freshman running back in, in Blackshear and Pacheco, uh, Blackshear was also their leading receiver, which is kind of sad, uh, but they had a bunch of freshmen and sophomores there too. Like it really was a full on burn it down youth movement. Uh, but that doesn't automatically mean those guys are going to get better. Sometimes if you play them too much early, uh, that kind of stunts their growth. Uh, completely, and and they never really get a, get around to it. Plus, I think in a couple of their better moments on offense, it was uh, not Sikowski, but uh, what's his name, Resigno or whatever, the, the senior quarterback who was backing him up, who actually provided that. So it's really hard. It's really hard to find a, too much of a silver lining there, and I'm, I'm a silver lining guy. I'm sure when I write the preview, I'll come up with something, but ugh. Uh, let's see here. Skipping around. Um, okay, here's an interesting one. Um, UF Mark 79, should Army Navy be moved around the country to make it more accessible, or is the fact that you have to go up to the land of terrible weather to see it part of its charm? Maybe it's not, both, not part of the charm. <laughs> maybe, both send school, uh, maybe send both schools to somewhere nice and tropical without the worry of enemy artillery. Um, <laughs> I will say this. The, it is the physically coldest I've ever been in my life. It is hands down, without a doubt, Bill, the coldest I have ever been in my life was on that sideline. Well, it was brutal. And this was in Baltimore, not Philadelphia in 16. This was at the Raven stadium, M&T bank or whatever. Right. The way the wind, I don't like, I don't know logistics. I mean, I've never been to a Ravens game, but like, Oh my God, I had on a suit. I had on a, like a, those of you who wear suits for a living in cold weather, like what's the, I have a, it's a dress coat. Is it a top coat? It's a top coat, right? I don't know. Sure. I'm wearing right. a Carhartt right now. So I still uh, know what you're talking about. Yeah. I have a, I have a, like a nice top coat that I wear with a suit, like literally twice a year. Um, and I had that on and I had to wear full, like long johns underneath it. You, I kind of get what UF marks what is going for here and that you have to want to go to this game, which kind of mm-hmm. sucks because it is the single best college football game to go to in your life. Um, and that stadium is not part of that. Like Philly and Baltimore and they're great. It's, it's fine. Um, but it's just an NFL stadium, you know? There's nothing, there's nothing sp- spectacular or different about it. I mean, I, of course, very substantial, crazy Atlanta Falcons fan – I think it would be awesome if they put it in Mercedes. I mean, think about that. <laughs> no, I mean, like you go to you go to the south, you take it out of the northeast, and they get to be like in a climate controlled environment, and all those Army Navy fans and the mid, the, you know, the mids and the cadets and all those guys get to. I think that actually, as I say that, I realize that the travel for the actual cadets and the midshipmen that's that's a big issue. 
So you can train down from West Point. Annapolis is very close to both Philly and um, Baltimore and New York. I think they should play in Yankee Stadium. Yeah, I mean they or, they used to be Giant Stadium back in the day. MetLife would be fine. Yeah, I think um, honestly, you just do that. Have the Heisman? Maybe I don't know. Talk to the Heisman people about it. I mean, sure. you're running out of steam on this idea here. I think. No, it's just that I I agree in principle, but I I've been expl- like people have explained. Well, you know, it's this and logistics, and it makes sense. And I'm like, look, man, the the most. Let me see if I get this right. The most amount of people in the United States Navy working right now live in San Diego, I believe. Mm-hmm. So you go out there. I mean, that would be cool. It would suck for Army. I mean, you're talking about a cross-country flight, but these teams usually have two weeks to prepare. It's right. not like you're jamming it I in. Mean, Navy, like played at, Navy played Notre Dame in, in San yeah. Diego this year. It's not unheard of, yeah. I um, do know a lot of people that wanted to be in Chicago. I think that would be awesome. <laughs> does not make it worse. Makes the assy cold weather situation considerably assier. Um, but yeah, I mean, move it around. Uh, I guess. I mean, I do think like watching it on TV and it's snowy and all that, and you got the cadets in their hats that are all white and stuff like that. That kind of does add to it. I think yeah. But if you're talking about attending it, no, that, I don't really, I'm, I'm happy watching that on TV. I've done snow games before. I don't need to, yeah. I don't need to dive back in. I definitely uh, do think that eventually you'll see like cities like Boston, Washington, DC, try and make bids. Um, because I will say this, man, just the last point on this, that damn thing is a money maker for the city. <laughs> I was in Baltimore the night that Army won and broke the streak, and damn, there's a lot of people in town for that game. Hotels are packed. Bars are slammed. You make money for the city when you bring Army and Navy in. Yeah. Uh, our friend, uh, Mayhe George at Deer Ham Sandwich. Okay. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Is there something I am missing about Duke quarterback Daniel Jones? I don't want to aggravate any pre-existing Mel Kuyper uh, Jr. issues, but why would anyone want to draft Jones before Will Greer, Ryan Finley, or a dozen other accomplished QBs? Josh Allen 2.0? Um, it, it is weird. He seems to be getting the um, – man, look at – he's toolsy. He seems to be getting that treatment, uh, and that usually leads to teams overdrafting the crap out of you, and that's kind of scary. Daniel Jones, though – um, I will say Josh Allen in college never had a game like J- Daniel Jones did against North Carolina uh, when they won 42-35 and he rushed 15 times for 186 yards and th- completed 31 passes for 361 yards. Uh, combined touchdowns, let's see, four combined touchdowns overall. Um, he's a fun player when he's on. He just hasn't been on nearly enough, and, and he's had a, had, had a lot of opportunities. He's in his third year of starting, uh, and his passer rating this year is 124.8, which is – not as good as his first year starting. Uh, down the stretch, uh, he, like that North Carolina game, on either side of that North Carolina game, he was pretty much awful. So I, I do think this is a bad year for quarterbacks in the draft, basically. And, and so basically when, the, when that happens, you start filling the void. That's what made the Josh Allen situation really weird to me is there was no void. Uh, people still talked themselves into him, even though there was Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson and Josh Rosen. So that's uh, why – so I, I, I disagree with you on the last part. Um, yeah, he was – I mean, he sucked out of that pool comparatively, but there is always a void. It's a perception <laughs> thing with sure. the NFL because sure. quarterbacks are franchises, I mean, quarterbacks are points, quarterbacks are marketing. And, I mean, you look at it just off the top of your head right now, you go through and you think about who right now is absolutely set with an all-pro quarterback for the next five years. It's like, not a lot of teams, five man. Five teams, yeah. 
Well, yeah. and, and so, yeah, okay, there is always a void. This year, though, there's especially a void because if Justin Herbert doesn't end up going pro, then then every quarterback on the board is going to get overdrafted. Ryan Finley should not be a top five pick, but he might be. Drew Locke will be, quite possibly be a top 15 pick. Um, and I think I could talk myself into that one more than, than Ryan Finley. But Daniel Jones, people will – like when he, when he weighs in at 6'5", 235 at the Combine and, and you know, throws hit, – hits stationary targets or whatever they do at the Combine, um, he'll probably – well, I, well, is he? A, you know, he's only a junior, so I, I, we're just assuming he goes pro. Um, but yeah, it, this will be a massive year for overdrafting quarterbacks, even more than normal. But that reminds me, uh, since I since I broke the seal with the NFL here, I just wanted to mention the last two weeks I've gotten to watch my favorite Missouri quarterback Chase Daniel uh, play and throw to one of my favorite recent college players in Tariq Cohen, and that has been a freaking delight. The end. Uh, one thing I do want to mention: this is why Jared Stidham went out, and this is why. Yeah. Um, this is why Auburn is even more panicked and frustrated right now because your Missouri Tigers mm-hmm. beat out Auburn for uh, Kelly Bryant. Yeah, and I mean, there's a chance Khalil Tate comes available. There's a chance, uh, well, there's a chance the Jalen Hurts scenario is still on the table, I guess. So awesome. God, that would, be, that, would be, that would be even more amazing after he saved Alabama the way he just did. Um, but, yeah, so that but obviously Auburn's not – you know, plus they, they're, they're bringing in – or either they just signed or they're about to sign or both like a freaking blue chip quarterback. So it's not, I don't know why they're panicking as much as they are, but uh, they need to fix that offensive line. That, that was the problem this year. You know, the quarterback situation will kind of take its care of itself. If you can protect a quarterback, but, um, but yeah, Missouri, Missouri could have a hell of an offense next year. Even if Kelly Bryant is merely good. Um, they also didn't have a quarterback they trusted and now they do. So go Tigers. Um, one thing I wanted to point out uh, over on the Reddit, uh, Brutal Buckeye says, uh, I have seen nothing on the Piesman this year. Is it a thing anymore? <laughs> um, we're not doing a ceremony this year in New York, but yes, there is a vote right now. We're still handing the trophy out. There's still nominees. You can go to SB Nation right now and vote through Thursday afternoon on the Piesman. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not as big a deal this time around, which kind of stinks. Um, If you're a corporation that's listening to this and would like to sponsor the Piesman, you need to call us about six months ago. Yeah, yeah. Find a time machine. Um, No, it it will be. uh, The Piesman is going to retain consistency. We are going to have it. There will be a trophy, all that kind of stuff. There will be a winner. Um, In fact, I was looking, and if if, if it's – there's nominees from Vanderbilt, Clemson, Tennessee is a bunch near me. Tennessee is awesome. I like Tennessee. I I may end up delivering this damn thing (laughs) to a campus in the next month, uh, to be totally transparent with you guys, uh, just to – uh, you know, we don't we don't know exactly how we're gonna um, do the presentation, but it's it's highly likely that I might be at one of these campuses handing this bad boy out. I want to put on the white gloves if if that's the Damn case. Yeah, straight. You gotta you better put on a, a suit and a, and the white gloves. Um, Show some respect. Yeah, damn right. It's the greatest. It's the greatest trophy in college sports. Absolutely. Um, um let's see, I didn't pick out a question because I was too busy. Um. <laughs> There's a lot of people. Wow, there's some interesting stuff in here that we can't really touch on yet. Um, uh, well, here's here's one that'll kind of cleanse the palate a little bit. Synchro Dad on the Reddit thread. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to resolve a contradiction in understanding S&P Plus. 
Uh, Bill claims it is predictive and meant to measure a team's current win likelihood against other teams. However, when a significant change happens over the course of a season, such, such as an injury in a skilled position or suddenly realizing you could have, you could have someone like Khalil Tate or Ian Book as your quarterback, uh, Bill usually responds that, quote-unquote, the previous games still count. Why do they count if you had a state change in your system and want the best predictive measure? measure? Um, because that is amazingly subjective, basically. Like, why – I can't say, okay, well, the Ian Book thing, that counts. I'm taking out all of Notre Dame's first three games. But this injury, this wasn't as much. I'm not going to take those out. It just introduces a spectacular level of subjectivity that kind of ruins the point. Yeah. Um, so I try to just basically say, like, this is your starting point. It clearly does better than Vegas. It, do, it beats Vegas on average 53 54%, whatever it is this year, um, despite, me, despite the mediocrity that occurred after I challenged pie ratings. Um, but it, it so it still does well with me not taking those games out. And uh, if you can then adjust yourself and basically like do what Bud Elliott does and say, okay, well, I'm gonna add, I'm gonna add two points to this. I'm gonna blah 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 blah. That should make you even more successful. But it's just so subjective and it gets it, it, it's a, it's the old slippery slope. Uh, Win Carroll, an eagle-eared listener at Win three three one seven. Last week there was a far from subtle allusion to Jeff Brom as the prime can. I think I sneezed it. Uh, as the prime candidate to fill a potential Auburn coaching vacancy after the 19 season. Did the Music City Bowl just become must-see TV as Brom <laughs> auditions for the Barners? Uh, here's my answer, Win. I'm going to go to that game. Wow. How, how's that for an answer? Oh, I will be at that game. That, that is a very subtle answer. Uh, but look, I'll, I don't want to dick around and make it a meme or anything, but like, He's staying at Purdue for a, a, a group of reasons. It's not like he's locked into Purdue for the rest of his life. And we said this last week. I'll say it again. You've seen the situation at Auburn. You see the situation at a couple other schools like USC. Um, I, we're in a down cycle. We're in a down cycle right now. There will be an up cycle next year. USC is in win or get fired mode completely. Auburn is in win or get fired mode completely. I don't think that's the situation at Florida State right now. I still think it's a little too early. Um, off the top of my head, are there any complete winner get fired next year? Um, help me, Bill. Well, I mean, USC and Auburn are the two. Are those are two. two. And that's, and those, that's enough, really. That's enough to, to cue a hell of a cycle. If you had one more, and I don't know, like I'm now I'm trying to just create an ideal situation where we yeah, get Taggart's into it. probably not there yet, but I mean, if they no. bomb next year, he could be. Maybe Miami or something? Yeah, maybe. I think he, he has a chance to build some goodwill back on the offseason moves he makes or doesn't make, I guess. Um, and we'll see let's, how that So happens. let's say you combine those two as opening next year plus something where, I don't know, the, the, the trend actually comes to life and, and really we see high volume change of, of college coaches going back to the league, which we haven't seen in a long, long time. Um, Brom is going to be the name at a lot of these major programs. So that's why he didn't take Louisville. That and they didn't pay him an obscene amount right. of money. Yeah, that was the amount of time. Yeah, that's, and, and I sort of understand everybody's position there, which is a really rare place to be in these moments. But, yeah. yeah I don't even think you have to frame it as he didn't take Louisville because of that. It's just, you know, he – he, he kind of followed the money situation and it worked out pretty well for him. And he, you know, the money situation might be different next year and he might follow that too. Um, by the way, uh, another quite a question from the Reddit thread that makes me now think Hugh Freeze would be just fine at Liberty. Uh, our friend Workman451 asks, uh, <clears throat> I just vomited a little in my mouth and so I have to share this with everybody else. Will Turner kill retirement? 
Uh, with Turner Gill's retirement, would Ian McCaw look to Art Bryles to fill that job? Um, no. And so just to move right on past that question. No. Uh, at P. Pekaski on Twitter, uh, is competitive balance at a historical low point or does it just feel that way because of the increased focus on the top four teams in the playoff era? Um, uh, no. No. I mean, no. Michigan State made the playoff a few years ago. Like, Oregon is not an elite recruiter, and they made the playoff finals the first year. I don't think – I think West play- Virginia was way closer than people realize. <laughs> yeah, I mean, two weeks, basically. Um, Washington State thought they still had a chance at the national oh, title until a couple of weeks ago, and that Boy. doesn't happen. In the, in the BCS era, this argument is over in October because Alabama and Clemson are 1-2, and Notre Dame's waiting to see if they lose, and that's all that matters for the national title race. So I, I mean, think- Alabama, Alabama notwithstanding – you had a lot of interesting storylines going through the majority of the season. Um, this year, we t- you know, I've bitched incessantly about chalk. Yeah. I think that was the year for chalk. I don't think this in any way, shape, or form, or I'd be super depressed about it. Yeah, this isn't a trend. No, not at all. Well, it, well okay, all. maybe it is, but it doesn't have to be just because it was one year. Um, so we'll see how things play out. I mean, Alabama's going to freaking have Tua back next year, so maybe they roll again, but after that, they won't. And then at some point in the next 35 years, Nick Saban retires. So well, but then also that go Alabama, just throw it out, whatever. You go down the rest of, the, of two through eight, two through 15. There's tons of volatility. Yeah, there's a lot of weirdness this year outside of the top three, uh, four, five, six teams. Uh, it was just it didn't it didn't infect the top six like it normally does. Uh, but but he did also mention the increased focus on the top four teams in the playoff era. Um, well, it's going to happen. Uh, well, I don't know about the top four teams part, but there has been. I mean, we we've talked about this many times. Like from the start, from the moment they decided in 2014, or from the moment the playoff became a thing in 2014. Um, like ESPN's coverage, like from, from, from July, it's who's in, who's going to make the playoff, who's going to, and that becomes like the entire, the overriding subject the entire year. And that sucks. Um, I, I was, I can't pretend that I was watching those shows then. And I most certainly don't watch them now. So I create my own entertainment with the sport, but it does. There's no question that the coverage of the sport changed with the playoff. You know, one thing I learned today, what's that? The playoff committee the playoff as an independent body as much as you as much as you're willing you the listener are willing to separate the playoff committee the college football playoff as an organization from espn which people have different arguments and opinions about that it was their suggestion and not espn's to institute the weekly format with the, with the recap show um as a way to sort of you know publicize themselves essentially yeah. um i found that to be interesting that i learned <laughs> that. so um are you getting kicked out of your room yet? Uh, it, it's getting there. Uh, give me one good one. I'm in okay. a recording booth at Vox, and there's some major project by one of the other verticals. Um, it's a little bit of an abbreviated show. We'll do a quick programming update, by the way. We'll be back next Wednesday at a more normal time and a more normal length. Um, we're going to batch record next Wednesday, get into bowl previews every damn bowl. Like, you had to even ask that question. You should be ashamed. Hey, you're the one who said they sucked, so I think they did have to answer. Like, we don't talk about games and teams and coaches that suck. Um, We'll break down all the bowl previews. We're going to do a batch record next Wednesday to carry you guys through the holiday season. And we do have the extra bonus episode that is going to drop at a surprise date and time between <laughs> now and the new year. But we do have an extra. So you're, you're going to get something on a, on a weekly format as we go through the holiday um, plus one. And that's our gift <laughs> to you. So give me one question. Let's get the hell out of here. Uh, Drum roll. Uh, Make it good, Bill. Man, this is pressure since I had already closed the thread. Uh, who makes 
Uh, no, never mind. I'm not going to ask that question. Mm. Um, what can each of the following schools do? This is from Carnivorous Shrimp on the Reddit thread. What can each of the following schools do that they haven't already done to make themselves more appealing for the next realignment cycle? Number one, UAB, maybe to the American. Keep winning, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Keep winning and get your act together in basketball again. Uh, stadium helps big time. Yeah, 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 yeah. On I mean, because they fit the, the they fit the metro area kind of feel yeah. that the AAC likes. So yeah, yeah just, tel- uh, television market increases. Uh, continue to schedule non-conference aggressively. Next. Yeah, no, that one fits. Um, New Mexico State potentially to CUSA. Oh, uh, no, no. I don't see that happening at all. I think New Mexico State's hope is that when, like, all the talk about realigning those conferences among themselves for, for geography, uh, they're still not, not all that geogra- geographically friendly, but um, that has to be their hope, is that basically, like, the, the western half of the Sunbelt CUSA mashup needs another team or two. Um, I just think they're 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 stuck in limbo that the Mountain West doesn't want them, and that they're they're just so yeah. No, Western I'm, not, I'm assuming the Mountain West isn't gonna. And you know, the funny thing is, I say that they're only in an hour's drive from UTEP. It's just that UTEP yeah. is another one of those outliers that they're trolling. I mean, honestly, here's the difference: they both suck. <laughs> UTEP gets UTEP allows the conference to say we have X amount of teams in Texas. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I'm and serious. you don't need you don't necessarily need overlap, even though they are pretty. There are more intense rivals than anybody really realizes. Um, they actually are. Yeah, but it's still. Yeah, I, I hope it works out for them. I really do, but I think it's going to take some shuffling uh, of the Sun Belt. Like all those Texas schools end up kind of forming their own thing with Arkansas and Louisiana's and New Mexico State kind of squeezes its way in. They're 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 great. Mario Mocha is a former uh, Mizzou guy. Like he's. Uh, he's good at his job, but he's got a, such a hard hand there. Number three, UMass, also maybe Tecusa or someone else. <laughs> I think you got a better shot at reformatting and trying the Mac again. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, UMass has a ton of work to do, a, a lot of issues, no identity, playing at like the stadium, man, I mean, just boom, boom, boom. There's a ton of stuff. I think they need to honestly figure out if they're going to be serious about FBS or not. So that is a way more pressing concern and figuring out a five-year plan as an independent to stay relevant, um, building some sort of regional rivalry, something consistently. And then uh, I think you go back and kind of throw yourself at the MAC. Um, the funny thing is, is if they had money and funding and attention and any kind of cachet at all, they'd be attractive for the AAC because it would theoretically give them a foothold in the Boston television market. The problem is Boston doesn't respond to college sports. And it's an hour and a half from Boston. It's not even, they play their games in freaking Foxborough and that's right. Like that's an hour away at least. Of all these situations, I think New Mexico state has a better and I don't think they have a great chance. I think they have a better chance of kind of waving the hand and getting in than, than UMass does at the moment. Last um, one. Last yeah. one, though. Um, our boys, the, the, the Knights of UCF to the Power Five. No. Not until the Big 12. I mean, yeah, when the Big 12 when the Big 12's ready, they're ready. But, <laughs> I mean, the Big 12's not ready right now. That's it. That's the shortest answer I can give you. That's the only option for them. They will get blocked by both the ACC. The SEC will not consider them. They'll get blocked by both of those leagues because of the, the Florida schools already there. Um, I, I mean, whether you like that or not, that's what's going to happen. Uh, but, yeah, they're still on the front of the auction block with UCF. I mean, it's UCF, USF, Houston, and Cincinnati. It always has been. Uh, that hasn't changed at all. <laughs> 
It's just that yeah, there are no there are no doors to open at the moment. No, I mean, it, look, I've written about it a thousand times. I feel like I mean, it, the, it was the Big 12's fault they didn't do it. I think they're going to suffer for it. Just think about UCF. I mean, here's the deal. Just think about UCF and the Big 12 right now. Yeah, it's a deeper, better conference. Yep, obviously. And they might be in the damn playoff. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, uh, bizarre. Yeah. All right, um, that's it. I am now officially being kicked out of my recording booth at Vox. Billiam, I will see you next week. We'll be slightly more organized and lucid, and I will not be as delirious as I am at this moment. Well, I don't think anybody really minded or or <clears throat> noticed the difference. See you next Damn week. It. Damn it, Bill. <laughs>